Welcome back to the show. Today's interview is with Alejandro Oropesa. He is the co-founder and CEO of a startup called Flavors that is on a mission to create this content and commerce platform for food, for creators to create content around recipes that they love and for consumers to be able to easily consume that content, but also order everything they need to buy the ingredients to make that food. So basically, it's making it super easy for you to find food inspiration, recipe inspiration from your favorite food creators, and then to turn that into an actual meal that you can eat. So in this conversation, we talk about flavors, and specifically, we focus a lot on the Creator Equity Fund that the startup recently launched, which is their initiative to give creators, especially early supporters, some equity in the actual startup so that creators can actually participate in the upside of that. And I love that mentality because I am so on board with this idea. First of all, giving creators skin in the game if you're starting a creator economy startup so that they feel invested and they'll be actively involved in promoting it, posting content, and also helping you understand what creators actually need so you can build the right product for them. So I love that idea. If you guys have followed my TikTok, you know that I'm a big believer in creators diversifying their revenue sources and their wealth generation by actually accumulating a portfolio of equity in different startups, either through investing or starting companies. We also discuss what it was like for him to transition from a decade at a company like Alphabet to starting a startup and what it was like to navigate the golden handcuffs of it. And Alejandro has so much wisdom and candor around what that was like psychologically, emotionally. So I loved hearing him talk about that. And we talk about the importance of following your truth as a startup founder you know, what actually resonates with you, what feels purposeful and meaningful for you versus just chasing the latest trend, whatever you think is going to get funded or sound sexy and tech crunch. Really amazing conversation. And honestly, a masterclass in how to tell the story of your brand, of your startup. That's the other reason I like this episode. How he describes not only the what of what Flavors does, but why they do it. What is the reason behind it? What is the mission? Anyway, incredible conversation. Wonderful founder who really cares about building a company from the ground up that takes all the different stakeholders into account, not only the consumers, but also the creators who are contributing to the success of the platform. The employees, making sure that the cap table is, you know, diverse. So without further ado, here is the conversation with Alejandro Oropesa. We are here today with Alejandro Oropesa. He is the founder of Flavors, and I am so excited to have him here. Thank you for joining us, Alejandro. Yeah, of course. Super nice to to see you. First, I want to ask you about the the Creator Equity Fund that you recently launched. Tell us a little bit about what Flavors is and let's talk about how you decided to get creators more participation in the upside of what you're building. I guess first talking about the company. Flavors is the first of its kind of food platform where you can watch content from the world's best chefs and content creators. So watch short form videos and then shop everything that you see. And shop everything that you see basically means going from watching a video of a beautiful recipe and then being able to get the ingredients on Instacart or watching, you know, a great brand of pan and then being able to shop it directly from video. So it's equal parts food video community and shopping marketplace. Food content creators were being undervalued by platforms because it takes both great technology and great content to build one of these platforms. And so our impetus with launching the Creator Equity Fund is to truly reward content creators for the full value that they bring to these platforms. In our case, what we're doing is for early content creators that join Flavors, uh, we're giving them shares in the company. They don't need to invest. We're actually issuing shares. We're not asking them to give us money. We are extending shares to them. And we're doing that in a way where 
they get similar shares to what our founding team gets, to what some of our investors got, et cetera. But in the event of an exit where Flavors becomes really successful, traders who helped us build a platform from the ground up will benefit together with the fund, together with the investor. So in our view, uh, you can't really build a great creator-focused platform unless you work with creators very closely and unless you treat them like strategic partners. And so by effectively launching the creator equity fund this week, what we're doing is we're taking a tranche of shares in the company, sending those to creators particularly to early creators who join us over the sort of first couple of years in the company to help us scale. And so again, the, the inspiration of that is over 10 years of working with creators and seeing their grit and the hard work that they put to generally bring the content that brings the eyeballs to these platforms at a time where you have things like the writer's guild strike going on and, and across the industry, people are complaining that the people that bring some of the greatest value to the platform are being under-recognized, we're actually going against the grain and saying, we want to reward them for the full value of what they bring. In our case, that means, among other efforts, giving them actual shares in the company uh, so that when we profit from the growth of the company, creators will profit as well. I love that in theory. In practice, it must be hard to figure out the right structure so that you are giving away the right amount of shares, you are incentivizing people properly, you are making it fair to the early believers, but also incentivizing kind of creators who join later on. What are some of the decisions you had to make around how to structure something like this? Like with all things in the startup world, uh, early believers generally get a better deal than later believers, right? So if you think about it from an investor's perspective, the people who invest in pre-seed or seed are expecting a much higher return on the people who invest, you know, the week before the IPO. And so in a similar vein, because we really value the people who believe in the platform early, our view on that is that if you believe in the platform early, you should get disproportionately better terms and conditions in terms of what you get. It's definitely not easy, uh, but I think most things we're doing in life are it's easy. You know, I don't know if your audience, I'm guessing a bunch of them have watched the, uh, the Michael Jordan movie that came out a couple of months ago. Uh, we're not necessarily inspired by that because this was in the work since uh, way before that. But what's interesting about that example is you see a great brand like Knight trying to change the game by rewarding an for their full contribution to their business, to their brand. The thing that's changing, and I think it's about changing the creator economy, is that people who are adding value to these platforms generally get the value back that they deserve. In terms of practicalities and how hard it is, you know, like I said, it, it's definitely hard to come up with the right number. But what we've done is we have a proprietary model that looks at the expected contribution from creators basically a combination of the size of their audience, their commitment to the platform, and a couple of other criteria that helps us ensure that people who add similar level of value platform at similar times get treated equally so that there is a sense of fairness amongst creators who join the platform. And like I said, the broader consideration is if you believe in things earlier as an investor, as an advisor, and in our case, as a content creator, we say you can be rewarded disproportionately better than people who believe later. So in a, in a funny way, this is actually the best time to join because people who are joining us early are going to get much better terms on the people who decide to join us later. That totally makes sense, rewarding the early believers. In terms of how you structure it, do you have a pool of shares that is fixed, or is it a certain number of creators that is the maximum number you're willing to work with? How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So as you're sort of already referencing the question, equity is fine, right? And so in a company, there's a limited amount of shares that can be issued at any given point in time. And so just like tech companies have been rewarding their early employees for years by creating these tools for 
employees specifically, where over time, you know, as the company grows, you refresh the pool and you're able to issue shares out of that pool to our new employees, inspired by a sort of a similar sort of thought with how we're managing the greater equity fund. So uh, existing investors, the founding team, et cetera, we've actually literally put our money where our mouth is and have taken a tranche of those shares to issue them into the creator equity fund in a way that we can uh, reward creators. And so specifically to your question, because it is a finite pool, yes, there is a number of shares that we will be issuing to early creators, people who believe in the platform early, depending on how that effort grows and on the trajectory and the growth uh, of the company, we might decide to do that again over time. For the time being, what we're already seeing is a lot of interest for both established large creators who work with the leading talent management uh, companies in the world, as well as independent up and coming creators who are inspired by the mission of connecting the world through food. And both of them wanted to partner with Flavors. So for the time being, my advice to creators who are interested is to, you know, basically go to flavors.com forward slash creators, submit an interest form and get in touch with us so that we can speak to creators, understand uh, what type of content they're producing and hopefully bring them onto the platform so that we can partner. Before they join the program and get issued any shares, become eligible for that, how are creators compensated? I know that you guys have an integration with Instacart. So what can creators expect before they join the equity fund? Yeah, so a couple of things are worth calling out. So for people who are maybe not yet familiar with flavors, the way our business works is we basically the best of the best short form food content in the world from top content creators, chefs, everyone who shapes culture in food. And then we make that content shoppable. Like you referenced, uh, we have a partnership with Instacart where we drive people downstream to an Instacart integration and people can watch the specific ingredients that they need for the recipe. And with one click, they send that basket down to Instacart, right? So creators can monetize on some of those affiliate link interactions. Like with the equity fund for people that are joining earlier, they're going to get disproportionately better conditions on those new monetization tools than people who decide to join later. Um, I can think about an example like Patreon, where some of the early creators actually got disproportionately better deals than the people who jumped five or 10 years later. I think the other thing that I would reference, which I believe is very important, is when you look at the history of companies like Instagram, like Twitch, like YouTube, some of these platforms grew as UGC platforms because they had a ton of great content that a bunch of people, either users, power users, streamers, or full-on professional creators created for those platforms. What's interesting is when those companies sold, all of them sold for over a billion dollars uh, other than Twitch, which was a couple of million below the billion dollar mark. What was interesting is at that exit moment, I don't think any creator got a call from the founding team saying, hey, congrats, remember all the great content you posted, here's a check in the mail. And so again, fundamentally, even though it is harder to explain, even though it's new and it takes extra work, our belief is fundamentally, if content creators support our early journey and they share in our vision, truly connect the world through food with this great content, with these great commerce interactions, that they should also reap the benefits of that when the company becomes successful. And so I can imagine a scenario where early Twitch streamers, if they would have gotten like an actual payout from the day of the sale to Amazon uh, for the early content that they posted on the platform, it would have been a game changer financially for thousands of people. We are creating and trying to work hard with creators to create a situation where as the company grows, we grow together. And it's definitely not easy uh, and it's new. Uh, and often selling something that is new is harder than selling the old. But in our view, it's worth the effort because we generally want to make sure creators are, are getting properly worked. 
When you have these conversations with creators, do you feel that they need a lot of education to understand what equity is, how it works? Is there a considerable learning curve when it comes to educating them around that? It depends. I think for most content creators, and you know this from being a creator yourself, I think most content creators start posting content because they want to share their story with the world because they have something to say, right? But after they've reached a certain point, creators become entrepreneurs, they become business people, and they truly care about thinking about their business as more than their individual presence. And so what we have found to answer your question is that creators who are, you know, entrepreneurially minded, who see themselves as a brand and business more than just an individual, they are very receptive to these sort of incentives because what they see is, you know, they've scaled themselves from just a person talking to a camera to somebody who's a full-on media company, maybe with a couple of employees trying to really grow to the next stage. But when you talk to them about the potential for outside returns in the future, when you talk to them about skilling the game in a venture-backed company, when you talk to them about a, a compensation that truly is meant to treat them as a strategic partner and not as supply or content inventory for a platform, it is really interesting to them. Now, for people who are kind of more on the short-term brand deal, immediate cash flow sort of thinking, it is harder to explain, right? Because they're used to getting a brand deal for many of the top CPU companies that gives them immediate cash flow. And hey, that's, that's great. And probably over the future, we'll bring brand deals onto the platform. But what's interesting, again, when you think about who actually keeps the bulk of their value in those brand integrations, it's the CPG platform, right? So a CPG company will reach out to creator, give them 10, $20,000 if they're really large, and then they'll go and sell $3 million worth of something because of that post. Why did the creator get less than 1% of that interaction? Again, in that same spirit, we go to creators, we talk to them about a bunch of different monetization paths. We share the roadmap of what we're trying to build. And then we talk to them about coming on as true strategic partners. And yes, it is a longer sale. It is a more strategic sale. It is a more complex sale. But over the long term, we think it's in the interest of the company and our shareholders and our creators to do those things because we think they are the harder things than the right thing. So you find that once they have some considerable amount of success, they generally tend to be pretty business-minded. They tend to kind of understand the value of participating in that equity upside through shares. It doesn't always correlate to size of audience. It, oh, yeah. it correlates more to business savvy of creators. So we've had people who are starting in their careers, but were already more business-minded since the day that they started. So some of our early content creators joined the platform when they had less than 100,000 subscribers on other platforms. I've seen it wrong. 5x, but from inception, they were very clear that they were building a business and that they were entrepreneurs, not just talent, right? So I don't think it's always correlated to size of audience. On the flip side of that, we've seen, you know, large content creators who are very successful and are represented by some of the leading agencies. But of course, because they're not getting any cash in the short term, the talent management agency might not be as thrilled to work with us, right? So what we're doing is fundamentally shifting the way the value is transferred from a venture-backed business to the people uh, on the talent side who help us build that audience. So I don't think it always correlates to the size of the creator. I think it's more of a, does the creator think of themselves as an entrepreneur, as a business? Are they thinking about diversifying their portfolio as a business and as a human and really taking five to 10% of those eggs into a new basket? Or are they thinking short-term only immediate brand will for the next month only. If it's the latter, we're not very interesting today. If it's the former and people are actually really trying to build that business, support their family, go on a long-term trajectory, and particularly people who are in the food space for long-term reasons, those guys are really receptive. And so to your point, 
we've had success with some of the largest content creators. We've also had success with up and coming. I think the conducting thread is passion for food, belief in our vision and entrepreneurial mindset that helps them understand that what we are offering them is of higher value than a $10,000 check for one of promotion of a soda can. That is the trade-off that they're making, but I think creators are very smart. And so smart creators are, are getting it very quickly. I've heard that too, that there's often not a correlation between the size of a creator's audience and their business savvy. And that, you know, you might be surprised at which creators are huge, but may not necessarily see themselves and conduct themselves like a business and vice versa. What have been some of the challenges to the extent that you're willing to share? What, what are some of the challenges of working with talent, especially more established creator talent? And you've done this, you know, both uh, during your stint at YouTube and now with Flavor. So what are some of those challenges? Yeah, I mean, look, I think uh, working with content creators is, is exciting more than it is challenging. That's why I've decided to focus the last 10 years of my career in working with creators, both at YouTube before and now at Flavor. So I think in, in the scale of things, it's always more interesting than it is challenging. In terms of the challenges themselves, there's a couple of things. So I think creators are very busy, right? So creators, sometimes they're fully fledged media companies, but the staff equals one or two people, right? So creators are really busy. They're trying to juggle a lot of balls in the air simultaneously. So making sure that we're respectful of their time, that we can work with them in ways that are not super time intensive. That, that's been one challenge that we've turned into an opportunity. Another one that's interesting, obviously, is monetization. Creators often are successful, but can't afford to quit their day job because they're, they're not always being rewarded appropriately. So again, RZU on bringing the monetization partners on Resher and a couple of other things is meant to help with that monetization path. And I think fundamentally, the community and sharing your story, and again, you're a creator, so you can probably relate to this more, more than most people that we talk to is people start creating content on any platform because they want to share their voice with the world, right? They want to be heard. They want a story that they want to tell. And so that's always been an interesting thing. And the thing that keeps, you know, me and my team going is when we talk to creators who are passionate about finding a full-time job in content creation, that's the fuel that keeps them going. Same as it is when we speak to users who are really passionate, who are consuming all this content, you know, shopping for their groceries, sharing it with their friends and finding a sense of community on a platform that is less about politics and hate and disagreement. And it's fundamentally exclusively about the love of food. So people come into flavors, they find the people that they love. And that interaction is a gentle, kind, kind of food-loving interaction versus a confrontational interaction with people who disagree. Uh, one of the beautiful things about food, and I think we're, we've always been very inspired by people like Anthony Bourdain, is food can generally break down barriers, right? If you have two people who strongly disagree with each other, but you sit them down and they, they get together for a meal, that builds a bridge. And we see that in our own community, right? Building a bridge between people who love food, often in different places of the country with very different views who are bonding through that shared love of food. We see that with creators bonding with other creators and of course with creators bonding with users. So we're, we're very inspired. I think the, the journey of being an entrepreneur is never an easy one, but I am very inspired by our team, the work they do every day, our creators, the hustle that they bring to creating this amazing content and by the users who, you know, write us small long letters on social or through user research and just tell us how much they're loving the certain version of what we're building. So, so far the joy still outweighs uh, the challenge. Maybe let's dig into your time at YouTube. What were some surprising things or lessons learned about creators in general? One of the beautiful things about working with content creators that I think truly surprises people is what I was referencing before. Most people did not get started to get 10 million followers. Actually, often the people who get started to get 10 million followers are the ones that don't succeed. Most people who are successful becoming a full-time content creator are people who had 
a great personal story to tell or are very passionate or savvy about a specific topic. And they want to share that view with the world through a platform. And that platform, you know, could be a place like Flavors. It could be YouTube, it could be TikTok. There's a bunch of great platforms. Uh, what makes Flavors unique is the fact that it's focused specifically on food, specifically on shopping, and it's a community built for people who live to eat, right? But there are other great platforms. We are obviously not the only one. And so I think the the first thing that is interesting and, and a great learning about working with creators is great creators have great stories to tell. When I meet creators for the first time, I always ask them, tell me, tell me why you got started. And once they do, you hear these amazing stories, right? So people will tell you things like, this is a real story from two weeks ago. I was in a content. I was really frustrated with my day job. Uh, and I was in the pandemic just having a moment where I needed to just change my life and do something that I truly love. And so I started posting baking videos and then that took off and it's now become a full-time job for me and I've never been happier. So I think one big axis of, you know, learning from creators is if you are willing to lean in and get to know people personally, understand their own journeys, creators have great stories to tell. They have started this journey for very profound, personal, almost spiritual reasons, right? To share something with the world. So that's amazing. That's one of the biggest joys of working with creators is hearing those stories and see those stories become a full-time profession. So that's one big thing. The other thing that's interesting is what we were referencing before, how smart creators are and how much they think of themselves as entrepreneurs and how savvy they are in building a business around just the talent surface and, and the brand. And you've obviously done this as well, right? So, so being able to shift gears from telling a personal story, creating content, building rapport with an audience to then saying, how do I turn this into a full-time business? How do I monetize this business? How do I myself and grow that business. So the business side of being a creator is incredibly interesting, incredibly important and something we work uh, with creators on, on helping them too. Um, I think the third thing is transparency, right? So creators across the world expect to be treated as adults, uh, as we all be. Part of the reason we're, we're being very open with what we're doing around the creator equity fund, how we reward creators and we're putting this information out there in the world is so that creators who are interested in doing this will reach out to us and they'll find us. We are doing a ton of outreach. We speak to a ton of creators, but we want to build a relationship that's transparent, that's honest, that's well-intended from day one. A lot of platforms and a lot of brands don't talk to content creators until they've been out on the market for five, 10, seven years. And that often happens when the CMO wakes up and says, oh, we need to get in touch with young people. Let's do some creator campaigns. I think that's the opposite approach. We're trying to build something with creators at the heart and soul of the business. And that's why we're working with creators on day one. We had actually signed creators as partners before we had written the first line of code for this app. So I think that tells you everything you need to know. You know, we have smart engineers that have come from Facebook, from Google, from great companies. We have, we built proprietary technology that understands food as food, a beautiful content experience, the ability to chop. So our, our technology product is really robust, but that technology product needs great content. It needs a community, it needs creators. So we've fundamentally built a business that's equal parts tech company and content and platform for inspirators. So those are some of the kind of salient thoughts of, of the stuff that's been interesting. Um, and again, I think that applies not just to our experience at Flavors, but to, to anyone building a business on the creator economy. So. What advice would you give to other founders building in the creator economy? Because I've been having a lot of conversations with them. And frankly, it seems like a really hard time, not just because it is generally a hard time for early stage startups, but also I think there was a, um, a period of time a few years ago when there was a lot of buzz around the creator economy. And now there's a little bit more maybe right-sizing around what actually works, what is feasible, what do creators mm -hmm. actually want, what tools are useful to them and what they're not looking for. 
And so what advice would you give to other founders in the trenches building in the creator economy? Yeah, so I think that the biggest piece of advice is you to think of yourself as someone who is generally interested about a given space and should not see yourself as a tourist. And so what I mean by tourist is tourist founders, tourist entrepreneurs, tourist investors, honestly, are often just chasing the latest thing, right? So the latest thing that they read about in the papers, the latest thing that's being shared on Twitter, the latest thing that they think is fundable because they're trying to make a quick buck. We didn't start flavors because we wanted to make a quick buck. Um, I started cooking when I was seven years old. I grew up in a family of restaurants and chefs. I've been cooking uh, for longer than I've been speaking English. That says a lot about our, our own love for food as a team and as a business. I've been working with creators for 10 years. Before people were discussing the creator economy, investing in the creator economy, I will see firsthand the impact that these people have in building community, in telling great stories, in getting people to purchase products, right? All of those things have come together in addition for flavors. And so I think the, the biggest feedback to succinct is if you are trying to build something because you think investors will give you money or you're trying to build something because you think it's the latest cool thing, stop doing that and start doing something you personally care about with a large market where there's an actual human need that is there that is underlying, that is repeatable, that is authentic, right? But in the case of what we are building, we've never really seen ourselves as a creator economy company, right? You're a food company. We're a human consumer company. We are a video marketplace. And I say that not because the, the tides have turned. I say that because what Flavors is fundamentally about is a repeatable recurring need for people to eat three times a day, right? So three times a day to answer the question, what are we going to eat? What are we having for breakfast? What are we having for lunch? What are we having for dinner? All families in all countries on the planet have to answer that question, right? So you have that problem. That's a real problem. It's not a trend. You have to eat three times a day. Then you need to solve that question and that problem in a short amount of time, and hopefully in a way that's joyful and inspiring. So that's where content creators and video come in. And then you have to get the ingredients and actually be able to produce that for your family, book, and, and be able to share that great human experience around cooking. So I guess the, the long story short for me is if you were trying to build anything just because you thought that was an easy thing to get funded, you should probably be doing something else because it's going to fail, but also because you're going to be miserable because the journey is long and hard, right? You should be building something that you love. In the case of food, in the case of creators, in the case of content and commerce, which are some of the sort of axes of the product that we're building. I am deeply passionate about them. Our team is deeply passionate about them. Our investors have some mental belief in the space. And so the most salient examples at one point were, you know, creator economy, Web3, AI is the latest thing. We've been using artificial intelligence and flavors since the inception of it. So we build machine learning algorithms that understand food as food. We are using chat to do recipe QA on certain instances, you know, recommendations and personalization are very important, but we're not doing those things because it's going to make investors happy. We are doing those things because there is a fundamental human need. In our case, again, what's for dinner? Giving users a joyful answer to that question on a repeatable basis is how we're building a billion dollar business. It's not just saying, hey, uh, what's hot? What gets featured in the newsletters? What are investors putting their money into? And I, and I speak to a ton of founders who are on a recurring basis trying to change a new hot thing. By the time they do, it's trended to a new thing, right? Uh, a year ago, we were talking about Web3 as the, as the most interesting space. And now we're talking about AI. So I think people should just fundamentally think about what they want to do uh, with their own time, with their own life, with their team's time and their investors' money and, and put that uh, against something that is truly fundamental to humans and to real consumer needs versus industry trends. I remember I was reading something by 
I want to say it was Mike Moretz and he was, maybe it was a general Sequoia sort of like, this is what we invest in. But it was something along the lines of, I seek to invest in founders where it seems like they are building their life's work. And when when somebody takes a snapshot of your career, starting from age seven when you started cooking, and then P&G, and then being in tech, being in content, commerce, working with creators, all of it seems to culminate at flavors. And it seems like this is sort of this amazing amalgamation of so many of the things that you've been working on for a long time. First of all, would you say that that's accurate? Yes. And I think, to be fair, I think it's accurate for me, but it's also accurate for, for the team that is around me, right? So, you know, uh, our product designer was a funny designer. Stuart eats, he loves food more than anything in life and left a phenomenal career to come building my real estate company. Uh, my co-founder was an early engineer on Google's shopping team, building early commerce experiences there, was at Vlad and was trying to figure out how to do personalization for food and learn to be a cook when I first met him uh, a few years back. Uh, we have, you know, people who reached out to us because they had worked at companies like TikTok and others, and they were more inspired by doing similar jobs in a community that was a little bit anger and where it was focused on a specific vertical that they love. And so I think this is true for me. It is also true for the team. That gets you two things. People who are willing to be with you in treachers or longer, harder, because the journey is really long, right? There's a whole Instagram versus reality mm-hmm. effect in startups where all founders are trying to just look successful all the time, but the journey is really, 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 really personal and professional talent, right? So I think if you're able to, yes, create your life's work, that is what it's all about. And in the context of the creator equity fund, something you can say to creators in meetings, which is true, and I'll say to you as well, is when content creators produce content and they put that on flavors and other platforms, they're literally sharing their life's work, right? And so our ethos with the creator equity fund is if a creator shares their life's work with us, we want to share our life's work with them. And in our case, flavors is our life's work. It's the culmination of years of working in, like you said, the food, the content, the commerce space, and bringing those all together into the same place. So literally that's what we're trying to do is they didn't share their life's work with us. We want to share our life's work with them. I really appreciate the way you um, widened the aperture of your response to include your team. I thought that was really nice. Of course. I mean, that's that's the other, and, and, and I do want to call that out specifically. I think like founders and investors, and I think tech in general has this myth of the solo founder, right? Mm-hmm. As if the founder CEO created everything, nothing could be farther from the truth. Founders are only as good as the team that they can assemble. Uh, and in my case, I've been very fortunate to be able to recruit a team of very smart, very kind, phenomenally talented people who love food and technology to help build alongside me. I could not do this without them. I think more people need to recognize that as well. Uh, the solo founder is a very tempting, cool notion that's been perpetuated in tech. It's never true. Great people are joined by great tea. When did you first have the idea for Flavors? After I left YouTube uh, in the middle of the pandemic, um, I was actually going through through a pretty tough personal time with uh, family illness on my wife's side. Um, and I was, I think like many people during the pandemic, thinking about what was next, what was my life's purpose? What did I really care about? What were some of the things that I was very passionate about? And Francois, my co-founder and CTO, was uh, going through a similar journey of self-exploration and trying to understand what he wanted his legacy to be. And that's when we came together and we started to look at the space and said, hey, food is phenomenal, the ultimate universal human experience that can bring people together in ways that maybe music and art can do as well, but those spaces are taken, right? So food is amazing. It's obviously a large market because of that. 
it's a repeatable business, but it's also like a fundamental human, beautiful thing, food, right? The second thing was content, creators, uh, the ability for platforms to, you know, have people share their stories and that pity tens of millions or hundreds of people around the world. That was the second thing. And then commerce, because we've always fundamentally felt that food is not just about the food foreign, it's about putting it in your belly, right? Like watching content is only half of the experience. The real beauty of food happens when you share it with family, when you cook to your friends, when you get together. That's where, where food really hits you is when you eat it, not when you just watch the video. And so that combination of things really caused us to have very strong conviction that there was something to be built. And then, of course, months and months of user research, iteration, and a bunch of hustle and hard work together with the team have landed us where we are today. But the fundamental sort of thesis is still the same one, which is when people see something delicious, they generally want to do something about it. And people have been watching great content since, you know, Julia Child in the US and many other amazing celebrities around the world. The, the medium, the platform has changed, but the underlying human behavior of seeing something delicious, whether it be on a platform or at the farmer's market, or at a restaurant, you see something religious and you want to put it in your belly. We are the best place to go from point A to point B. And so that that fundamental thesis has always kind of stuck um, throughout the journey of the company. And it started at a, at a very important personal time for both of us, uh, where we were looking for purpose and meaning and where we had a lot of admiration for some of the people that were shaping culture. So the idea came after you left YouTube? Yes, correct, correct. And what prompted you to leave YouTube. Actually, let's talk about what you did there and then why you left. How you knew it was the right time to leave? Because a lot of people listen to this podcast and they might work in big tech or at a startup. And I think often it can be hard to decide um, to make the decision of when to leave, especially when you feel, mm-hmm. okay, it's time for my next chapter, but I'm a little bit, you know, apprehensive about taking that leap. The full sort of journey started with a steady Google in Latin America when it was a tiny team. And so I was in total with Google and YouTube for about nine years. Uh, and I worked in Mexico City for Latin America. I was in New York for a while. Uh, I was in London working with European telco partners. And then I was in global market marketing for creators at YouTube and some Google to Global HQ. And so throughout the journey, like everyone who's worked in big tech, there's, there's amazing rewards, but there's also amazing challenges, right? So some of the best memories I have include actually, you know, meeting and working with great content creators. So that definitely was a big highlight. The other thing that was interesting is when you're shipping products for a global audience and, you know, this amazing impact in what you're building, it, it rewards your ego in very interesting and, and often dangerous ways, uh, because it's really hard to detach yourself from that. So the, the pivot from that to being an entrepreneur, I think, came when I had somewhat reached what I thought was the job that I always wanted, right? So I was at the middle age to in all the right meetings with all the right people and, and having the ability to influence things at a global scale, but it didn't really feel like it was taking me to the place where my heart and my soul wanted, which was building something of my own, uh, where I felt a, a bigger sense of purpose, where I was building my own team and, and really having a vision for what I wanted to achieve versus, you know, kind of building my dream versus someone else's dream. And so I think a lot of people go through that. The thing that was very interesting to me was the time that I spent there was phenomenal. Uh, I've made lifelong friends, uh, lifelong business acquaintances, and I, I even had like the, the, the amazing opportunity to work with some of the top executives there and, and be involved in a, in a ton of great decisions that were made to benefit content creators. I was a champion and an advocate for content creators to the CEO of the company. I used to travel, uh, meeting with creators very often and bringing their voice into the room at the senior most level to ensure that content creators were being 
prioritize. And so I think that there was a ton of joy in that experience. And I still, like I said, I, I have a ton of respect for, for what Google and, and large tech companies do. So my journey there was great, but I think it goes back to kind of a more personal thing. I follow you on TikTok and, and I've been watching some of your stuff. And I think a lot of the advice that you have there for people is related to the more personal side of things versus just the business side, right? So there, there comes a moment where if you're truly passionate about the space, if you care about your legacy in the world, if you have a tie, the impetus and, and the itching to do something, you should go do it. And if anything, earlier is better. Uh, one of the smartest people on our team is 21. I encourage him to be an entrepreneur every other week because I think the earlier you get started, the more opportunity you have to make things work. And so for aspiring entrepreneurs, I think the discomfort of leaving a paycheck and the discomfort of leaving the status is much smaller than the amazing joy and the journey of actually building something that you personally care about and seeing that uh, do well in the world. Because no matter the outcome, I don't think I'm ever going to regret it. And I think if, if you are truly a builder and this is in your heart and you want to create something, you should take the leap and do it because you're never going to regret it. I think most people regret the decisions that they didn't make, not the ones that they did. But to me, that was as a person, deeply important, right? So I wanted to make sure if I died in 10 years, which sometimes happens, right? Like if I had no other choice, would I regret staying in a corporate job, even if it was a well-regarded, well-remunerated, very prestigious job, if I did that forever, would I be at peace with myself? And the answer was no. The answer was I wanted to go build something. I wanted to bring my vision to life. I wanted to create a culture like we've created with, you know, an amazing sense of diversity, with a sense of purpose, with a sense of passion, where we're building an experience for most people. When we ask them how they feel, they say hungry, excited, joyful. And that's the sort of platform that we're building, right? So for me, it was well beyond just the business side of things. And it goes back to the whole tourist founder angle is if you're building a venture-backed startup to make a quick buck, you should probably go be a day trader or do something else with your time because it is going to be phenomenally hard and phenomenally exhausting and a really long journey that most people won't tell you. So unless you love what you're doing, I think that the odds are stacked against you, right? So if you're thinking about quitting that great fang job, do it, but do it for something you love. Don't do it for the money. Don't do it because you want to be a billionaire. Don't do it because you think there's X trend that VCs are now backing. By the time you execute on that trend, probably too late. Do it because you you cannot think about doing anything else other than build. Do it because you're passionate about space. Do it because you want to create a culture, a team that has different way of approaching things. Because you see that as the role in the world. If you just do it because you know you read a great Twitter thread about that being an interesting space, don't waste your time. Stay at the corporate job. But if you want to go build something because you cannot think about a life without that, then go do that. One conversation I have with founders often with my founder friends is, you know, they'll be in a place where they're either looking to pivot or maybe they are kind of in that limbo of I've left my big tech job and I want to start a startup, but I don't know exactly what the right idea is. And I'm trying yeah. to get clarity and this is kind of what I like. And I just don't know how to navigate the idea maze. So what helped you get to clarity around this idea for flavors? And what advice would you give founders who know they're entrepreneurial, but they're struggling to find the right idea? There's no two stories or not two people that are the same. So like at everything, like this is a sample size of one. It depends on what their life journey is about. I think in my case, there were a couple of very important lessons. One was if you want to start something of your own, earlier is better than later, right? So if you spend 25 years at a big tech company, and this is, I mean, this is stuff that YC talks about over time. It's free advice is 
if you spend the majority of your career ingrained in the habits of a large corporation, it's going to be really hard to detox out of that and go to an early stage company. If you are, you know, for example, adverse to risk and you like things to be predictable and stable, early stage companies are probably not going to be an amazing experience for you. And again, if you want financial stability and if you want to, you know, optimize for short-term returns, early stage companies have a terrible idea for that, right? But if on the flip side of that, you're really interested in, you know, huge potential future financial upside, if you're interested in putting something out to the world that you love, that you think should exist in the world fundamentally, because it doesn't exist, but you can see a future where that thing is going to make the world better and you are okay with risk and you're okay with volatility and uncertainty, and you're also okay with no longer being the guy who works at Google or Facebook or who went to Harvard or Stanford, but just somebody who's trying to make their idea happen. If you can live with that and you can thrive in that, it's definitely a great experience. Again, if not, if not for everyone, and there's no shame in accepting that, right? So I, some of the smartest people I know are very happy and very successful in large corporate environments. I was for a while too, over 10 years. But I think if, if there's this personal itch inside of you to do this earlier, is better than later. Did you struggle with golden handcuffs where you felt like, oof, like I don't want to leave the security and the safety and the comfort and familiarity of a big corporation? Or did you just know when the time was right, the time was right, and it was kind of relatively easy for you to transition out? Anyone who says they don't struggle with golden handcuffs, I think is kind of bullshit. Um, <laughs> most people who have a great job, like a great company with a great reputation, with great compensation and a guaranteed future stable output. Uh, we'll be happy to achieve that, right? So I think, of course, of course, I struggled with not just the financial side of losing the golden handcuffs, but maybe more importantly, the emotional side. Like you attach yourself to your profession. I attach myself to my profession so much that I was like, you know, I'm I'm the really smart guy that works for Google. What am I going to be when I'm that? Or, you know, some people are the guy who has a Stanford MBA or the McKinsey, whatever. And like people affiliate themselves to that idea to the point that they're, they cannot see their life beyond that. I think as an entrepreneur, you have to be comfortable with the fact that sometimes status will be good. Sometimes status will be terrible. Sometimes financial stability will be good. Sometimes it will be terrible. We bootstrapped this company and lived on our savings for at least a year in one of the most expensive cities in the world. And of course, we recognize our privilege in being able to do that because we have this previous background. But I think it's, it's important to demystify the assumption that all founders are successful. All founders are happy. Everything you see is just a great LinkedIn post. It isn't. Most great founders, when they're honest, they actually share a lot of the journey of getting there. And 95% of the time, you have to hustle really hard for every single step in that journey. And then you get a couple of badges of honor. And even when you get the badges of honor, you have to keep working every day. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting journey. I think I, for me, to your question, like, did you struggle with the golden handcuffs? Of course. I think most people do. And I think what's dangerous about the golden handcuffs and particularly the emotional golden handcuffs, I think those are actually more powerful than the financial for a lot of people that have been in tech for five, 10 years, because they, to some extent, maybe clear the threshold of financial stability is getting rid of the self-association and putting your individual human worth around your profession. That's the biggest golden handcuff. And if you're willing to get rid of that, I think you're going to find a lot of joy building something that people will love. Uh, and even exploring yourself as a human and, and pushing yourself beyond those limits. But again, it's not for everyone. I think it is, it is okay and respectable and admirable that a lot of people feel excited to do big tech jobs and thrive there. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. 
that part about the status and the identity, that is very real. And I and I have a lot of conversations with friends who I see them and I'm like, you really made the McKinsey career or the Google career work. But I've had so many conversations with those very same friends who go, wow, I envy the life you're living and I envy what you have and I wish I could do that. And that is consistently surprising to me. So it seems like the grass is always greener, but you always have to just honor yourself. I think that's the key to me and my business coach, who's a phenomenal guy. Again, people always discuss their own individual journey, but around any great human, there's always like a group of people supporting them. Yeah. Uh, my wife has been phenomenal on this journey, my family, my team, my business coach, and so many people who have selflessly done an introduction, have sat with us for pitching, have introduced us to people. You, you generally have to search inside yourself for that okay. answer, right? So if you are passionate about a legacy about a topic, about a thing that you think should exist in the world. People often just think about venture-backed companies, but like, you know, immigrants are the ultimate entrepreneurs. I am an immigrant. This country is full of amazing people that have come here to build a better life for their family, to start a small business, to create an idea for the restaurant that they longed for when they were back home, right? So I, I think, again, the, the idea of venture-backed companies is very overly romanticized. Yeah. Entrepreneurs are everywhere. People are creating great businesses in every corner. And the majority of those people are actually creating still a large amount of jobs in this country and in every other country. So I think that spirit starts with the willingness to see a better future and to build a bridge through your present reality. Again, in the example of, of immigrants, when you are in your home country, in, immersed in your own culture, your family, and you're comfortable, right? Or you're uncomfortable, but you think there's a better way, there is a better future, there is something out there for you. And you then pack up your stuff and you go and pursue that dream and chase that dream. I think it's actually not a coincidence that uh, many of the most successful entrepreneurs and company builders are immigrants. And I think it has to do with the fact that if you're willing to kind of leave your whole identity, the language, your family, your customs, everything behind in pursuit of a better future, you're going to work really hard to get that future. And so some of those amazing stories, some of the most inspiring ones I've seen from people who have decided to leave everything that they have to build a better whatever, right? The thing they think should exist in the world or a better future for their own families. I love that. I think there was just that, that said something like maybe 50% or half of all of the most successful venture-backed startups were founded by at least one immigrant, which is insane, but also, you know, it, it makes sense. It tracks. Yeah. So we, I mean, something we're very proud of is over 90% of the capital in our cap table, which includes some of the best investors on the planet, by the way, is basically represented by females or people of color or both. The majority of our team are immigrants and female and people of color. And then a special plug, I'm from Mexico City. Uh, I think Hispanics make 44% of the California population. And of course, um, the majority of the venture capital in the world, we still concentrate in California, but less than 2% of funding goes to, to Hispanic founders. Mm -hmm. And so that's another area that we really care about is not just supporting founders in our same track, but supporting diverse voices, content creators, employees as investors. We are trying to build a better world and a better future of what we're doing. That starts with the capital that we raise, with the employees that we recruit, with the creators that we bring on the platform. We deeply care about that. Food is a space where a lot of voices have been historically underrepresented and have not necessarily fit the mold of what you want to see in sort of mainstream food media. So changing that and putting some of these great commentators on the center is also key for me. As you can tell, we are very passionate about the space. I would encourage your audience uh, to check out the app, what's flavors.com or just search flavors without an O on the app store. 
Uh, and for content creators listening, go to flavors.com forward slash creators to submit interest uh, and get your fair share through the Flavor Sweeter Equity Fund, uh, which mm-hmm. last this week. We're super excited to continue onboarding more and more creators. And yeah, very, very excited to talk to you. This was amazing. Thank you, Alejandro, for sharing all this. And also thank you for just being exemplary of how to take into consideration all the different stakeholders, not just building for the consumers, which, you know, is sort of obvious for a startup, but also creating an amazing workplace for your employees, your team, taking into consideration the composition of your cap table, being supportive of creators, being in partnership with them. I think what you're doing and the way that you're doing it is really inspiring. So thank you for being that example. Thank you so much. And thank you for opening the door to speak to your audience. Great talking to you. This was wonderful.